Hello and welcome to the next edition of MDD's Claims Interviews. Today in the operating theatre on the table, I have Andrew Walker from Berkshire Hathaway. Andrew, hello. Hello, Barry. Lovely to hear your voice. Well, it's great to have you here. I hope you're ready for what's coming your way. We've had some great interviewees. I know you're going to be superb. So let's get on with it. Let's start at the beginning. The first question is always about how you came to be in the industry. So how did you come to be in the industry? Yeah, that's a good question, Barry. And you're right, you have had some great interviewees. I've enjoyed listening to them. I hope I can live up to the standard that you've had so far. How did I get into the industry? Well, it probably sounds like this is a long time ago for anyone listening into the podcast. But to me, it doesn't seem that long ago, the 1980s. It's a few <laughs> decades, isn't it? And it was a different world back then, Barry, wasn't it? At least in terms of financial institution recruitment, because I got to the end of my school days, having done my A-levels, I had the option to go to university. A couple of colleges in London had offered me places, but I decided that probably foolishly, I'd had enough of learning at that point and wanted to start earning instead. And so I looked in the papers, as you did back then, looked in the evening standard, and financial institutions would often put recruitment advertisements in, in the paper. And I saw one for a bank, RBS. I saw one for an insurance company called Municipal Mutual, who some of your older listeners might remember, were a, a mutual insurer for mostly for local authorities. And I applied for a A-level trainee job at Municipal Mutual, and, and they accepted at the intake uh, of 1986. And that's how I got into the industry, Barry. There was no great plan before that point. Other than that, I just wanted to start working as opposed to learning. Of course, what I didn't realize at that point was that, well, you're always learning, and there was a lot to learn about insurance as well. But that's how it started. Was, was, was it a claims job, or was it something else? It wasn't. What they did back then was a... They just wanted to get new blood into the company. So they offered you a, a trainee role where you would spend three or six months in each of the key departments. There was a liability underwriting department, a property underwriting department. So you'd spend six months in both of those. And then there were two claims departments, a property department and a liability department. So you'd spend time in those two. And the last one I went into was the liability claims department. And I decided that that was the one I enjoyed the most. So I stayed in that kind of work for the last 36 years or 35 years, however long it's been. So how long were you there and where did you go next? Well, I stayed at Municipal Mutual until 1991. And then having done just over five years there, looking around at maybe a, f a few more exciting positions in the industry, I saw a role had come up for American International Underwriters, as they were called back then in the UK. AIG and was fortunate enough to get that job as a claims adjuster at AIG. And I, I stayed in that business largely. I stayed in AIG for the next 25 years. And so you ended up in the dream team with, I guess, Agatha and Parry and Miller and Clark, Barber. And they all seem to be going yes. back there. Agatha's sort of gone in a different direction to Inigo. Yes. Uh, may, maybe it's time to go back. Well, uh well, the truth is I did go back because right? halfway through my AIG career, I left for eight months to work in industry. Well, I say industry. I went to work for Nestle in their risk management team about halfway through my AIG time because I, you know, I thought it would be really interesting to see what the world was like from um, the perspective of a customer. And the, the Nestle role was a really interesting one. But 
AIG enticed me back after about eight or nine months. So I did leave AIG and, and then I went back within the year. That's that's how enticing it was to, to be at AIG. So I've al- I was already a returner. Okay. So just sort of bringing us right up to date now, you're at Berkshire Hathaway. You've got a fantastic role there. Tell me, what's it like to work for them? Yeah, you're right. I'm at Berkshire Hathaway Specialty Insurance. And this division of Berkshire Hathaway's commercial insurance was established in 2013 in the States, gradually grew from that point across the world and opened in Europe in 2016. And I was very fortunate to be on the radar of a couple of people at BHSI when they were looking to recruit to build a business in Europe. And they contacted me and the message they told me about BHSI was so compelling that, yes, I decided to leave AIG in the autumn of 2016 and, and joined BHSI. And it's, it's been a fantastic five years. I can't believe it's five years, Barry, since I, since I left AIG. But building a, a new insurance operation in the UK and across Europe has been extremely hard work, but I've been surrounded by some fantastic people. And working for a business with a set of values and principles that are so important and we all believe in them, it's been a real pleasure to see the business grow around me here in Europe. When I came into the London office, I think I was the third person through the door. As head of claims, that meant there there weren't actually many claims at that point to be handling. In fact, zero. So that was a bit of a shock to move from a very established place like AIG to BHSI, where there were no claims to be handled at that point. But we were just starting our journey of building a company in Europe and in the UK. And here we are five years later, we've got almost 100 people based in the UK, about 180, 190 people across Europe. It's been extraordinary to see the the growth in the team and the growth in the the customer portfolio as well. So yeah, very exciting last five years, really eye-opening as well to build something new. I I was going to talk to you about the sort of transition from AIG to Berkshire Hathaway, but I I sort of feel you covered that there. I, I, I think we'll move on to what it's like being ahead of claims and what you enjoy most about it. I, and I talk to lots of heads of claims and I hear different things from different people about what they really enjoy, sometimes what they, they don't enjoy at all. But tell me, how does it work for you being ahead of claims and, and what do you enjoy most? Yeah, I suppose there are a couple of ways of answering that. But the first one is to say that a lot of the enjoyment I get from the role is being in a claims team. And so a head of claims obviously comes with being in a claims team. And the claims role over the years, for me, has had such a diversity of types of work because you get to see all manner of industries and all manner of lines of business as well when you're in a claims role. So the breadth of the experience you get through claims is fantastic. And then to come to BHSI as a head of claims, The real challenge and and opportunity here has been to build a team of claims talent and to be able to do that vary in all of the countries that we are setting up in across Europe. So that's one of the, the joys of this role, to reach out to and tell our story to people I know are really talented and engaging claims professionals in all sorts of companies across the market and to get them to understand what we're trying to build here, to feel as passionate about it as I am, and to get them to join BHSI and help us build for the future. We talk a lot in this business about our long-term focus. I think it's very often important for a new company, and we are still relatively new, you know, we're eight years old as a business across the world. I think it's very important to 
Talk about the longevity when you're talking to your broker partners, customers, and, and even your teammates to give everyone that certainty that you are going to be around for the long term. We think of this as a forever business. It's always important, I think, to emphasize that in a new company. And I've been able to do that when I've been talking to people who have joined us and they have the same vision as me for building something over the long term which is going to be really respected in, in the industry. My plan and my ambition, my hope, is that the claims team we build at BHSI in Europe and around the world will set a benchmark for claims handling standards. And it's very exciting to be able to do that. Well, I, I can hear the passion in your voice, and it's really impressive. That, the thing about being a forever supplier really resonates for me at the moment because I wish my energy supplier had been a forever supplier, but they actually went bust yesterday. So I'm waiting to find out who my new energy supplier is going to be. Nothing to worry about. I understand your energy supplies will not falter. Barry, you'll still be able to have power and gas at home and someone else will step in and start charging you instead. Yeah, charging me more money instead. Possibly, yeah. possibly at a different rate. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I want to just dig a little bit more into Berkshire Hathaway. So as you say, it's a growing organization. Has this created any particular challenges for you? I suppose one of the areas is bound to be finding the right sort of staff for that sort of organization, because it's not for everybody. New organizations don't necessarily appeal to everybody for whatever reason. So what sort of challenges have you faced? Yeah, plenty of challenges. I don't know how different they would be from other businesses that are starting up from nothing in this region. When I joined, our business had really only just opened. We'd opened in, in the UK in June of 2016. We'd opened in Germany, I think, in the February of 2016. And I joined in the October of that year. So we were still very, very small in the UK and, and in Europe. And so the immediate challenge is trying to shape a company that is going to sustain over the years and putting in place the operational foundation that you can start to build on that will be solid as you bring in new people and you add new process. So there's a lot of structural thinking to do at the outset. But your question in particular about recruiting people is, is certainly a challenge, partly because my experience of claims people is that they can be cautious, they can be a little conservative. I think it's something that's in the in the DNA sometimes of a, of a claims person. And so giving somebody confidence and comfort that they're moving to an organization that will be around for the long term and can fulfill all of our ambitions can take a little time, especially because we are trying to, at BHSI, we're, we're targeting and have been targeting over the last few years, individuals who are really very good at what they do and have a profile in the market as being extremely technically competent and also driven by customer service. So they're good people and they're also doing well at the companies that they're working at. So we know that we know they're loyal to those companies and they've got a, a career path mapped out in those companies very often. And we're deliberately targeting those people. So it can take a bit of time to find the right people and then to bring them into the business. The, the way we do that is to approach people that we've learned about through personal recommendations. So recommendations we can really trust. And then we will have a series of discussions with the people that we want to recruit. So it wouldn't just be me talking to somebody. I would ask a number of my teammates here to be talking to them too. So they get a real sense of the, the scale and the ambition of the business, um, of the culture of the, the business as well. And they can feel completely comfortable. They know what this company is all about before they take the step to join us. So it can take a little time and some patience sometimes for, for our recruits, but 
I think the vast majority of people who've joined us would say it was worth it and that the recruitment process they went through really helped them integrate very quickly as soon as they started work here. So yes, there, there are challenges around getting the right people and around establishing the infrastructure of a business that you know will support a long-term and uh, sustainable company. Okay, just while we've touched on the people piece, what do you think makes a great claims handler? I think someone who is inquisitive, but also thoughtful and pragmatic, calm, who can empathise, can be reassuring, but also somebody who fundamentally understands what the role of a claims function is and the real privilege that you have being within a claims team to be able to execute on all of the great work your teammates have done to put a policy and a policy program in place. You within a claims team get the chance to execute on that policy. So understanding that privilege and wanting to make the policy work for the customer I think those are key components of a really good claims handler. And here at BHSI, we have a number of guiding principles that really guide the way we operate every day. One thing we talk about is having a sense of urgency, but not being in a rush. And I think that's a great phrase for a claims person too. When you're dealing with a claim, you want to deal with it at pace. You need to be able to give absolute clarity to your customer, to your broker partner, and do that as quickly as you can, but also do it at the pace which ensures you are making the right decision on the basis of the facts and the framework of the contract that you've got before you. So having a sense of urgency or not being in a rush, I think that's a great way to think about what a claims handler should be. Okay, well, I'm now going to jump up to what it's like to be a leader. I'm sure it's the power, the control, (laughs) the disciplinary opportunities that you have, or is it something else? What do you enjoy most about being the leader? That's a really interesting question, and it's one that you were kind enough to let me know before this chat that you might ask me. And it's one that I had some difficulty trying to put words to, really. Just say power, power. I'm not really a megalomaniac, but that said, (laughs) there's an enormous amount of responsibility being a leader in an organization. And I'm not sure if I would say I necessarily or, or anybody necessarily enjoys the responsibility, but respects it certainly, and understands it's a really necessary component of being a manager and someone who's responsible for the growth of a business or partly responsible for the growth of a business with other leaders in this team. Yes, leadership, you get to respect, I think, you get to respect the the purpose of that within an organisation. I suppose what it has given me the chance to do in the roles that I've had where I've been managing and and leading teams over the years, both at AIG and, and at BHSI, it has given me the chance to share what I've learned over the years that have gone by so very quickly with teams of people and and talk to them about the way my experience tells me and hopefully will tell them things can work towards a, a great outcome. So I think I've enjoyed sharing the experiences I've had, good and bad, to help the teams that I've been managing think about the way they should be handling whatever issue it is that they're trying to handle. So I've certainly enjoyed sharing that. I think the other real opportunity you get as a leader is to talk to so many people, to talk to them and to listen. You know, the teams that report to you, your market peers, you find yourself in conversations with so many different people um, when you're a leader of a team that you get a fantastic opportunity to keep learning. 
and to find out that you know things you thought were right and you have thought were right for many years, it's about time you, you changed your view on. So the opportunity you get to continue to learn and to listen to your own team and others as a leader is one that I think is very important. And I've enjoyed that in those years that I've been able to manage. Well, I was hoping you were going to say you wanted to be a megalomaniac. I'm sure I'm going to find that claims leader at some stage, but but obviously not you. You're far more considered and probably more professional in that respect. And let's just look at one final thing around Berkshire Hathaway, and that's really around your plans for the future. But is there anything exciting coming down the pipes? Is there anything in particular looking at that is, is going to really get the, the juices flowing through the, the system? It's difficult to pick out one thing, Barry, and that, that's because, you know, wherever I look in this business right now, I see really terrific people joining. A lot of those people are established in the industry. Some are less established and, and are still learning about their trade, their line of business. But I can see a really fantastic group of people continuing to form here in the UK and across all of our region in Europe and establishing BHSI as a really meaningful insurer partner for customers and and broker partners all across the region. I can see new relationships building. I can see new friendships building across a really impressive team of people. And our ambition is to continue that over the next 20, 30, even 50 years. We have spoken about how the head of Berkshire, Mr. Buffett, when he was talking to our executive founders, suggested that we should be thinking about a 50-year time horizon for BHSI. And to think that that's the time horizon that will continue to grow over and establish this business over is a great thing. And we talk about that kind of long-term focus within the organization so that everybody understands the the certainty of, of this company. But the immediate excitement is seeing the team grow and fulfill its ambitions in every country over the next few months and years. Barry, it's difficult to pick out one geography or, or one line of business. Just generally the, the growth and the, the impressive nature of the people I see is the most exciting thing. Well, I can tell it's exciting times and we need these things in our lives that challenge us, provide enjoyment and, you know, part of that's your home life, but also work plays such a major part in what you are as a person. If that element is exciting and fulfilling, then I think it's really good for you in all sorts of ways. So I want to dig a little bit under the surface about how you've been shaped. So I want to talk about the influences in your life. And and so who have those big influences been in terms of your career and why? Yeah, a lot of them were at AIG because I spent so many years there working for some terrific people over the years. Barry, some of the names you recognize, some you might you might not. When I joined AIU, as it was back in 1991, I actually started to work for them in their, one of their branch offices in, in Bristol. And my first manager there was a guy called Rick Battershill. And Rick taught me a huge amount, even in those first few years, about the focus that we should always have within the industry on giving our customers the best possible outcome within the framework of the, the policy contract, doing as much as we could for our customers. However they presented the claim, they might not be insurance experts. So, you know, it was absolutely our responsibility to make sure that the policy was working as well as it could for them. And Rick was the first person really to show me that. He led by example in what was a relatively small team down in Bristol. But then I was lucky enough to, through my AIG career, work for and with some enormously impressive people. You mentioned you mentioned a couple. Steve Agata was a very influential leader for me, as was David Miller, you know, still very big names in, in the claims world here in London. Steve Eckhart 
was the leader of the, the claims team at, at AIG at the time when I was, I think, really learning my trade at the end of the 1990s and the early 2000s and gave me all sorts of opportunities. And it's important, isn't it, in a business to have someone who believes in you and believes that you are capable of getting to the next level. And I was very fortunate at AIG to have those two Steves who, who gave me those opportunities when I was there. And then because I worked with American teammates as well, AIG and then BHSI, obviously, I've been very fortunate to have really supportive people mentoring me from the States. People like Tom Rip at AIG. Many people will, will remember Tom, Andrew Nadolna, and a guy called David Crow. And David was at AIG Lexington for a, for a number of years and then became the global head of claims at BHSI. And I now report to, to David globally here. And all of those people have, have really influenced me in my career and are still teaching me things, which is the joy of a great leader, isn't it? That you're still learning from them, however long your career is. Have you had any particular high points or low points in your career that you can tell our listeners about? I suppose one of the more difficult periods for any of us who were at AIG was the financial crisis, 2007, 2008, 2009. I suppose it went on for a few years. The difficulties that we within AIG and outside of AIG quickly became aware of in that period when AIG required a US federal bailout and... The uncertainty of that time was difficult for a lot of people in the world, frankly, but you know, within AIG too. But it was also a time when you saw the best of people. You know, there was a kind of a rearguard action at, at AIG and you suddenly became aware of leaders within the organization really stepping up to reassure the teammates around the world about what we could still achieve and how we could put right the things that had gone wrong up to that point. And so what was a difficult time? turned into some of the most fulfilling years, actually, that I've, I've had in the business. During the financial crisis, it, there, there were a few tough moments. But certainly from my perspective, I saw a huge amount of positives coming out of that too, with the strength of some of the people in the organization and the way AIG was able to recover. And ultimately, as you know, pay back the US government, everything it owed and more. So you admitted at the start that you've been around for quite some time, which really takes me to the last question before we get into some of the stuff away from work. So tell me, what sort of aspirations have you got for the future? My key aspiration is to help the claims team within this organization, and particularly in the Europe region, to get to a point where it's thought of as setting a benchmark for claims handling in the industry. That's my key ambition, I would I would say. And that's going to take Sometimes it's going to take a lot of hard work. You know, we're a team that's just starting to establish a meaningful claims portfolio. So we're getting opportunities now through the whole book to demonstrate the way we think about claims, to actually execute on the words that we've been talking to over the last few years and to live up to the promises that we've made. And my ambition is to make sure that everybody who works for us and does work for us in the future understands what it means to be a claims handler within the industry and within this organization understands the privilege of the role that we have and lives up to those service expectations that I have of them and every broker partner and every customer would have of them too. So that when you think of commercial claims handling in the years to come, you think, yeah, the guys at BHSI, they've got it right. They're, they are the people that we should be aspiring to match. 
Well, it sounds to me like Claims is in very safe hands at Berkshire Hathaway, so long may that continue. Let's now get away from the work stuff and let's dig away, find out what you like outside of work. So tell me, what do you enjoy most outside of work? Well, obviously, I enjoy spending time with my wife and uh, I haven't got got any kids of our own, but spending time with the broader family, spending time walking the dogs along a beach in Cornwall. That's what we try to do as often as we can during the course of the year. But I am a great lover of sports, watching sports, Barry, these days rather than playing anything. Football, Formula One, motor racing, and then pretty much anything else. I mean, cricket, rugby, golf. I'm a great watcher of sport and I'm very passionate about the teams I support. West Ham, I guess a few people have dropped off the podcast at that point, but West Ham and England in any format of sport, pretty much. I'm, I'm a sports fanatic myself, so we've got some similarities there. So now let's come to fun bit. This is the quick fire round, really. I'm going to throw some words at you. I want you to tell me what sort of resonates most with you. So let's go. Football or rugby? Football. I love rugby, but, but football is my first passion. TV or radio? TV, Barry. It's on every evening, I have to say. You know, if you're a child of the 70s and 80s, TV is still very important to you. BBC or ITV? I would say the British Broadcasting Corporation, Barry. Absolutely. It has to be the BBC, <laughs> doesn't it? A meat or veg? Ah, well, my mum always said to me, all things in moderation. And there's a great qu- quote from, I think, some food scientist who says something like, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. So... You know, you have to respect the stuff that you're eating. I'll never be a vegetarian, but I try to get the balance right between the meat and veg. So what's the choice? Meat or veg? Well, it might, de- me might, might depend on my mood. I'll go meat. I'm, I'm, I'm now realising you're not an easy interviewee. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit politician sometimes, yeah. Barry. <laughs> this is supposed to be a quick fire round. Meat or veg? I'll say meat. Meat, okay. <laughs> I'm upset to come up with meat. Okay. Warren Buffett is listening. Work or holidays? There's not so much separation between the two these days, is there, Barry? You're always contactable, it seems to me. They both have their place, don't they? Holidays wouldn't be holidays without work. So, yeah, at my time of life, work is still very important. Okay. Well, there's not too many who've actually said that. Most of them have gone for the holidays. I'm not sure too many of them are left working where they were when I interviewed them, though. But (laughs) I think you're going to be safe. Lloyd's or companies? It's always been about the company market for me, Barry. I, I did have an ambition to work in the Lloyd's market one day with all the history that brings, but uh, it's the company market for me, I think. Okay. I can ask you this question. I've had a few slightly younger claims leaders who struggled with this one, but we'll see. <laughs> 1980s or 2020s? Oh, wow. Okay. I'll say the 1980s. They were more fun. Than- they were way, way more fun. Definitely the right answer, that one, I think. And finally, the Martin Clark question, Harley or Porsche? Well, I'd go Porsche because the risk-averse person in any claims manager would say that being on a motorbike is just far too risky. So I'll be safely within a Porsche. I'm sending Martin Clark round to your house with his motorbike (laughs) and he's going to take you out and assure you that being on a motorcycle is so much safer. Only if he's got a sidecar. I think it's more stable. I don't know if he's got one of those. We'll have to ask him. All right. Look, we've reached the last bit. And the last bit is the obvious bit, really, which is if you'd not ended up in this sad, sad world of insurance claims, what would you ideally have liked to have done as a different career? Okay, well, it's a good question. And I think I would have done one of two things. My dad was in the travel industry for many years. And so being part of the 
travel industry, airlines, holiday companies was always something that kind of appealed to me when I was younger. But the other alternative was being an archaeologist. And that was something that I had looked at studying at college for some time before I started work. But in the end, the draw of starting to earn money was bigger than the draw of being on an archaeological dig somewhere in the world. So a travel agent or Indiana Jones? That's right. That's what I would have done. And and I thought you were going to say some sort of professional sportsman, bearing in mind your love of sports. I was never good enough. I I was always entirely aware of how bad I was at most things sports-wise. I loved watching them, but I was never quite good enough to play it. Andrew? It's been great talking to you today. I've really enjoyed hearing about what's going on at Berkshire Hathaway and some of your views on claims and and what it takes to be a good claims handler and a good leader and all that sort of stuff. So thank you very much for your time. I hope our listeners enjoy this one and I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure, Barry. Good to see you.